Are you fond of riddles? Depends on the riddle. Three weird men sit in a room. An adept, an avatar, and an authentic thaumaturge. Between them lies the sleeping tiger. Each weird man bids the tiger to eat the other two. Who lives, who dies? I feel like I'm operating on incomplete information here. Like, uh... How are each of these guys bidding the tiger? Well, they're just... They're bidding the tiger. Are they want the asking the tiger? Not bidding on the tiger. Well, even anyway, you failed. They all die. Everyone dies. Because that's what happens when you wake up the tiger. At least, that's the story. This is why you don't gamble with uh, big cats. With carnivorous big cats as your random number generator towards them. I like this riddle. There's a very valuable lesson to be learned in it, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lao Torsen. Uh I have become enlightened. Oh, Lao Torsen. Uh That just means old Torsen. <laughs> so what does Z mean, then? It's It just means, like... Z is like it, you put it on all sorts of things. It's just it's 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 him. Does Lao Z basically translate to old man? Yes. <laughs> nice. The old guy. Old guy. Yeah. Not not even man. Guy. No, I think in that context it does. Yeah. Um, oh, it meant it means that Z is meant to be master. Oh, okay. Um, old master. All probably. right. Old master. But the Z is, like, it's a weird... It's it's used for all sorts of things. It's just thrown onto the end of words to, like, make it into a word. Yeah. All right. So what lesson were you trying to teach here, old Thompson Master? Old Thompson Master. Um, well, the lesson is that it doesn't matter whether the Adept wakes the tiger up or the Avatar wakes the tiger up or the authentic thaumaturge, or the unnatural phenomenon, the unnatural entity, or just some people that were in the wrong place at the wrong time, the tiger is going to eat them up. Well, that is the story that's been told. This is the this is the big, uh, the center point of sleeper ideology is that if you wake the tiger, you're fucked. Yes. Uh, because the world is not ready to accept the unnatural, at least... Not the unnatural that uh, Anunnamis plays with. The norms are... It's not just that they're not ready. It's that they will react violently to oh, yeah. this sudden forced expansion of their consciousness. And uh, frame of reference for how the world works. And if you got enough of these uh, uninitiated on one place, then they will... Uh, rip you to shreds, uh, torches and pitchforks, like an old Frankenstein movie. I believe another great philosopher once said that a person is smart, people are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals. Ah, yes, the great philosopher uh, Tommy Lee Jones, I believe that was. (laughs) That's correct. It's true, though, and that is... um... That's the thing. Men in Black was a good example of a an analogy for the occult underground because they sure. were basically sleepers yes. in a way. Except, as we all know, aliens don't exist. That's patently ridiculous. <laughs> of course, of course. Only humans in this universe and any other. It's humans all the way down. Hey, and dolphins. And dolphins. 
Oh, dolphins. Oh, that's just that's those are just sea humans. <laughs> uh, don't, don't don't let them know that you said that. They'll be they'll be very mad. All right, we're land dolphins. <laughs> well, now I'm offended. Let's get back to the tiger. The tiger is an, a metaphor for dumb, panicky, dangerous animals that has the human race. Uh, they give examples of what happens when the tiger wakes up. Second edition, when they talked about the tiger waking up, uh, they'll bring things up. They bring up examples like the Senate in Rome reacts to magic use and cannibalism by Dionysian cults by executing 7,000 bacchants. Once again, Vorophiles are the most oppressed group throughout all of history. The, Voros, the Vorophiles of ancient Rome. There's your campaign title, Vorophiles of Ancient Rome. That's right, that's right. So basically the idea is that if there's like um, like witch hunts in the, not the Middle Ages so much as the early modern period, yeah. I found out there was not so many witch hunts in the early mod- in the uh, yeah. actual Middle Ages. It was mostly an um, Enlightenment era yeah. reaction. And witch hunts, there was very little witch hunting done by any of the Inquisitions as well. Yeah. It was mostly a mm-hmm. grassroots thing. Oh, yeah. Um, that makes sense. Lots of witch hunting going on today in various parts of the world. It's always happening somewhere, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Also, the various panics, moral panics, the satanic panic of the 1980s, the current um, panic about groomers can be seen as a moral panic that has, like... It's really weird. and I mean, um, there was definitely elements of that in the Satanic Panic, too. Um, there always is, yeah. Yeah, like pretty much any sort of uh, cult panic. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I uh, am a bit more open-minded to those ideas. And perhaps I should be. I think, to, to an extent, it's... One thing is that those sort of things do go on. Yeah. Like, there is grooming, it does exist, there are fucked up rich people doing fucked up things, fucked up secret groups doing fucked up things. But, I think a lot of people, the reason why it's popular over and over again is it's it's, it's the worst things that people can imagine uh, tend to get ascribed to whoever people are angry at, at, at a point in time. Yes, and especially, especially if it's a moral panic... Uh, involved corruption, involving corruption of the youth, which, yeah, frankly, most have at least some dimension of that. What's immediately going to be reached for is child grooming. Yeah, absolutely, and it's got a long history, not just child grooming, but like um, things like as you go back, as you mentioned the cannibalism before, like lots and lots of groups that history were accused of like blood sacrifice and cannibalism. I believe the Roman pagans accused the Christians of that, and then the yep. Christians accused them of that back. Uh, Christians um, accused other sects of doing this. We talked about this in the Gnosticism episode a bit, where there was uh, claims that various Gnostic groups were having, like, child orgies and eating menstrual blood and shit. Yeah, so this is, like, it's a common... Um, I think it is the fact that they are such common taboos and people... Like when there you have a, a a group, whether real or imagined, that you are against and you think is all evil, it's very easy just to describe ascribe like anything to them. They do anything. They'll do these horrible things, the worst things we can imagine. That we see a lot. In in a sense, it's interesting because like 
what qualifies as child grooming is very cultural. It's a product of what is considered uh, acceptable sexuality from someone young versus unacceptable. Like, certain cultures are, there's a lot more active initiation in someone, like, in their early teens into, like, how sexuality works. Uh, where oh, yeah. is and you know the U.S. would probably consider an interaction like that child grooming. Yes, because the United States is generally not big on sexuality in the public sphere. There, there's a lot of shit that would be reached for. It's like, oh, this is child grooming. It's it's a catch-all to um, kind of immediately allow people to fill in the blanks with their own sensibilities of what's taboo. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. Um, that reminds me of a... Uh, I was watching a, a series just yesterday and the day before um, on Netflix. This um, I didn't watch all of it, um, but it was a, a show called Man on Pause. It was like this hmm. Turkish dark comedy and what struck me is there was this scene where um, the, one of the main characters um, beat his wife and then it was just part of the plot and it wasn't, it was just, he could, he had a happy ending and so did his wife and it was just sort of like, it was mentioned in the next scene and he was like, oh, I'm such a terrible guy because I beat my wife. Yeah, it's not like some moment of like, okay, this character is now completely irredeemable. That's it. It, it, was, it wasn't, because I was thinking in an American show or like a Western show, he, that would be the point where he's like, cross the line, he's irredeemable. Yeah. But it wasn't, it was, it was just like, yeah, what he did was bad. It it's wasn't a character like, flaw, hey, like, but it's thing. not like a, <laughs> well, it's not a kick to flaw, it's completely beyond the pale. That's what, that's what struck me. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Very different. Um. Yeah, uh, it was. It, it kind of like threw me for a loop because I couldn't imagine that happening in um, in a Western series. It would that would be the, the a huge plot point. It was like the point where it's like you couldn't take him seriously. He wouldn't be portrayed yeah, as yeah. like. And it was interesting to me, but it's a good example of like, yeah, these things differ in different cultures, yes. like uh, degrees of how things are treated. Um, so how does this link to magic, though? Well, both sort of what's considered acceptable magical practice, uh, acceptable esoteric practice um, in a society is also often very much rooted in a culture's uh, sort of generalized values, right? And I think that's another part of why when you have panics about cults going on, why a child grooming gets so invoked is because... A lot of the fear of uh, a a cult group is that their values are supposed to be totally foreign. Not, not even foreign, because it's not necessarily a xenophobia thing, but it, the, the values are entirely incompatible with uh, the society that they exist in the shadows of. And therefore, if the, if the values are different, if they're different, they must be the worst possible thing. Yes. It's the easiest thing for people to imagine. It's like, oh, they're different from me doing different things. It must be the worst. <laughs> it must be. Uh, yeah. But this actually brings up a sort of interesting point, which is 
to, to link back to the satanic panic. Um, there were actual satanic groups back then. Uh, there's pretty much always yeah, a sure. couple of satanists running around. And usually they're just sort of quasi-hedonistic libertines that are... Uh, and what liberty means varies a lot from sect to sect. You know, Levain satanism is kind of this weird mix of Nietzsche and uh, objectivism. So it has some kind of uncomfortable eugenics-y dimensions to it. Uh, and that's feeding them, whereas um, the Church of Satan is kind of more left-leaning and has, a, I guess, a more lib-left um, idea of what freedom entails. It's always interesting to me, like, the number of different places, not just with Satanism, but also with um, a lot of uh, New Age-type movements yeah. and, like, books and things, like, how often you'll come across some unexpected eugenics. You're like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? Like some various Nazi theories that got repackaged as like hippie shit in the sixties. Oh, sure. sure. Uh I mean, have you ever read Stranger in a Strange Land? There's some kind of dicey bits in there. I mean Stranger in a Strange Land, like, like I haven't actually, uh Highland. Okay, uh, yeah. What, there's, there's some bits about like you know, him uh using his like disciples to create a new race. With, you know, basically Martian genetics that are more enlightened than human genetics. Well, that's, that, just, that just raises some <laughs> questions about enlightenment for me. It's like, okay, tell me I'm the biochemistry very, speaking behind very... the... Like, well, you know how this shit was in the 60s. There's a lot of... Uh, like, it's the indigo children shit, right? Sure, sure. There's just like some natural potential that some people hold... Any sort of thing that claims that spirituality is not only true, but has a genetic component to it, uh, usually can lean into this sort of thought if it doesn't... Well, that raises a good question about in Anonami's uh, supernatural identities are inherent to a person. They're not derived from following a path. They're not derived from, finding, uh, from paradox. They're something that someone has. Like, is that something that's passed on? Is it a random mutation? It but depends, like, no I'd imagine. It that. depends. Or some maybe you just been through a weird life event that had you end up with some sort of psychic powers or what the fuck ever afterwards. That there, There's a ton of possible explanations for how a given individual could have uh, a natural powers. That's true. But uh, what I was getting with the Satanism stuff is that, you know, you have these satanic groups. And frequently, a lot of the time, they're basically just a sort of organized religious protest group that are yeah. kind of acting in contrarianism against Christianity and thus using the trappings of all the stuff that Christianity associates with hell and evil to be like, ah, actually, a lot of the stuff that you guys hate is actually cool. Mm. But... They'll still, still do satanic rituals. Now, how much this involves sacrifice in, of goats and whatnot varies on how edgy the sect is. I know there's de there's definitely satanist groups that would never sacrifice an yeah. animal because yes. it's completely against their morality. They're like, no, don't hurt an animal. Why would you hurt an animal? But they still might do shit like prostrating themselves in front of a statue of Baphomet. Sure. So, but, but but who among us hasn't prostrated themselves before a statue of Baphomet at least once? Come on. Yeah, yeah, fair point, fair point. People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, I guess.
We should really get a studio that isn't made entirely out of glass. Mm. Yes, it makes it hard, like, for the stone. Their acoustics have always been kind of weird, yeah. That's true. But, so, sort of my question here is, if someone from a very sheltered Christian upbringing were to suddenly encounter a satanic mass out in the woods or whatever, yeah, and maybe they're slaughtering a goat, maybe they aren't. But, like, they aren't doing anything that's honestly, like, really that fucked up. People slaughter goats all the time for non-satanic reasons. Sure. For lunch, for example. Yes, goat is delicious. Would that provoke an unnatural check? From the person with the sheltered Christian upbringing? Hmm. Yes, I would say so. I would agree. The Like, someone's unnatural check, like, what is unnatural... Depends on the put of person you are. Um, it depends yes. on your worldview. That's exactly what I'm getting at. What is unnatural is highly dependent on your view of the world. That's the shock of the unnatural. It's it, we ain't de- dealing with Lovecraft here, where there's this sort of thesis of anything involving the mythos is fundamentally inimical to the human mind. It's just incompatible. Our, our mind can't handle these truths or whatever. There's a reason that Unknown Armies has a natural as one shot gauge among many that you can become adapted to just like you can violence or isolation. And that's because fundamentally what the unnatural is, is, an unnatural check is, is it's, it's being aggressively confronted with, with something that reveals to you that your perception of how the world works is wrong. This ties in with like a lot of what I've read about the problem with dealing with people like um, conspiracy theorists or people who are very set in their beliefs where they won't accept any challenges to them. Um, they'll sort of think around. That's why it's very difficult to like, if you're trying to convince someone of something, like just going straight on against them, um, it's just going to like psychologically, it just brings out a reaction in them. Yeah, they, they start putting up their sort of walls and. Yeah. And you gotta you gotta see like um like a flat earther um struggling to understand like how a plane can fly from like Buenos Aires to Auckland in the time it takes because it doesn't make mathematical sense with a flat earth because in the real world it flies over and the plane flies oh over that's Antarctica. easy planes can go <laughs> way faster than the Airline companies will tell you. They just they just calculate the speeds based on what gives the appearance of globe earth. Oh, I see. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. This is that's the exact sort of thing an ignorant globehead would say to himself. <laughs> there was at least one flat earther who fell out of the movement because of that, because of plane speeds. And I'm like, that's what convinced you. Okay. Hey, whatever works. Honestly. <laughs> Yeah, breaking down those walls through counter-argument and opposing evidence, is it's fundamentally hard. That's kind of not how we're really wired. Yep. And some people are wired that way more so than others. Now, I'm not saying people are genetically predisposed to being flat earthers. More genetically, more or less predisposed to being ideologically stubborn. Yeah, yeah. And it's true, it happens a lot. I wonder what what else could like cover like an unnatural check like. Well, it's it's interesting because if you like look at book one, 
Uh, a rank one and two on a natural check is experience preternaturally strong deja vu. There are hundreds of mundane explanations for that. Oh yeah, totally. Or rank two to four. Realize that a vision you had of the future has come true. I think most people have had a dream at some point that ends up being weirdly close to what happens to them in the next few days. I, I had a friend who um, who told me a story when he was very young. Um, he woke up, he had a horrible, horrible nightmare, and he woke up, um, and he was living in New Zealand, and he woke up, and the the time he he, he woke up, and it was it was September twelfth, two thousand and one, when he woke up from his terrible nightmare, and oh, no. that, in American time, it was when the planes were crashing, and he didn't realize that until several hours uh, later at breakfast when like it was on the news, and he was like, "Holy shit, I, I saw it happening!" But no, it was probably just a um, probably not, probably not. I need to warn them. <laughs> it's too late. It was. I need to come warn the Pentagon. No, it was too late. It happened like it was already happening. It was the twelfth for him because he was in New Zealand. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. I mean, weird enough coincidences always have some sort of real stratospheric uh, reasoning behind them, uh, as you once said, and I uh, take into heart. Uh, there's no such thing as coincidences; only incidences. That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. But you know, normies aren't, aren't going to know that. They aren't going to know about the. Uh, gigantic web of synchronicity that underlies reality, so they're just gonna see them be like, oh, that's a really fucking weird coincidence, what the fuck? And take a rank three unnatural check from that. Sure. It's like, that's a thing I have with coincidences. It's like, wow, yes, two things happened. Very good. Um, are they connected? I don't know. <laughs> but two things definitely happened. Because, yes, everything is connected. <sighs> I don't know. But then, like, I'm looking at the sample of natural checks here, and a lot of these are ones that can potentially have mundane explanations. Six to eight, have a conversation with a, one, a loved one you know to be dead. Plenty of stuff you can do with a twin on that one. Oh, yeah. And would it be a shock? Absolutely. Do you think it's a stronger shock or more likely to be a shock if it happens to a group? Because I think it would. Like, for example, preternaturally strong deja vu... It, it, that doesn't mean anything but if you're in like if you're with a group of people and you say and like two people at once say like wow I just had deja vu that would be and then everyone else is like oh I also just had deja vu that's yes. more of an unnatural check <laughs> stress checks can kind of build on each other I think they can kind of uh, cause chain reactions I mean if only because like hey someone fails a stress check responds with fight Suddenly, uh, one dude is being the shit out of another one, and then the third guy suddenly has to make a violent stress check, and oh, yeah. the guy having the shit beaten out of him also needs to take a violent stress check, and it's a whole fucking thing. And that's um, where you get the riot rules. The riot rules cover that very well. So that's kind of interesting to me, actually, because the riot rules sort of imply is that people tend to respond to failed and natural stress checks with violence more than the other two responses. Yeah, I mean, it's because violence begets violence in a way that freezing does not necessarily beget freezing. Um, And fleeing, I guess fleeing is part of it, but if some people are fighting and some people are fleeing, 
that's basically a riot. Yeah, I suspect that's kind of what happens with a riot caused from the Tiger Waking. Is that a lot of people just fucking book it. But enough people are left that respond with violence. And the key thing here is that all those people responding to the shock with violence all have the same target. That's true. That's true. And that's where the danger comes from. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, all the, like, because they saw you do it, they saw you're involved. Yeah. Not always, necessarily. They might People might start fighting each other um, if they suspect, like, you're involved somehow. It's not like a bar brawl where everyone's taking violence checks, but it's in response to different stimulus. Yep, yep. And a natural check from a group is all in response to the same stimulus. But if you had, like, a situation where, like, for example, there was, like, a protest and a counter-protest and they were yelling at each other and then you did some magic and freaked everyone out, they'll start attacking each other because they're already prepared to. And these other guys must be behind whatever just happened. Something that I actually find very interesting in the sample of natural checks is that uh, one of the lowest ones, two to three, is see a creature or a machine that cannot logically exist. Yeah. That's really low to me, in a sense. Maybe it was higher back in the day. There's a lot of things that... Like, for example, if you see a machine that can't logically exist, what does that mean? Like, for example, there's those um, so-called perpetual motion machines that actually just have the magnets in them that go around. Like, if you didn't know it has a magnet in there, you'd think, holy shit, this is magical. But it doesn't... It can't logically exist because it's a trick. And I think a lot of people, if they see something, these days especially, but even back when the original book was written, if they saw something that can't logically exist, a lot of people are going to be like, that's an effect, or like, that's, this is a scam. Like, I, don't I know think what you that is. can pull off a good enough magic trick to invoke a low level, a natural check, honestly. It's very difficult. You need to make a, do a real good magic trick. And you, you, and you couldn't admit that it was a magic trick, is also the other thing. Because then it immediately gets compartmentalized. Yeah, if you're a magician, it doesn't matter what you do, people aren't going to be like, holy shit, he's a wizard, because they ex- they assume there's a You're going to be doing some... There's going to be a trick, yeah. Yeah. How'd you do that? They don't need to know. They know that they don't need to know. Um, they want to know if it's like, oh, a magician never reveals the secrets. It's, that's fine. It's, it's compartmentalized in their head as it was a trick, he's a genius, uh, whatever. Which implies that an adept can get out of uh, waking the tiger by just following up whatever bullshit they do with doing some card tricks. Sure, sure. (laughs) I wonder if, like, uh, Penn and Teller have really high, like, evaluate unnatural. Or, no, what even, um, what's her name? Um, Fucking uh, Alison Hannigan. She has really high evaluate unnatural, so she just filters out the adepts being like, get, get out of here, you're not a magician, you're a fucking wizard, get out of here. <laughs> you don't deserve to be in front of Ben and Teller. You're going to use real magic, you fucking hack. Yeah, they they got to filter those out somehow. <laughs> That's a good question for like any urban fantasy game, I think. Why don't more of the wizards get jobs as magicians? And what's to, like, stop them from getting involved? What's the filter there? 
I think I think the door should just slam open in the middle of the night and like Penn and Teller just walk in and beat the fuck out of you <laughs> and then leave. And like Penn and Teller and James Randi, who is somehow still alive, just kick in the door. <laughs> kick you half to death and then leave. This is a warning. We won't be so nice next time. Sorry, Penn's the one saying it. Teller's just pointing at you. No, no, no. Pen is screaming in her incoherently, and like Pen is completely silent until he reaches. He leans in and like whispers something to you. You can't remember what he says. Uh, roll unnatural, rank ten. Yeah, there you go. That's good. I oh, know. I think for adepts, the main thing stopping them from becoming uh, magicians is just is probably this sense of self-respect. There, it's in the in the occult underground. It's considered a really hacky move. Also, you can. The other thing is, as far as death magic goes, you can get tapped out real quick, right? Oh yeah. Like when you're doing a magic show, you gotta put on like a thirty-minute, hour-long set of that shit, and that will drain you of charges real fast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I broke up a major charge to put on a magic show. No, <laughs> you're, an, you're a dickhead. What a waste. <laughs> it might be that um, avatars have it on lock, like certain avatars, like the star or whatnot, have it on lockdown, you know? Yeah, but a lot of high-level avatar abilities, one, invoking those is a good way to attract the negative attention of other avatars. And oh, yeah. And also, two, you probably, like, weaken your connection to the archetype if you were like the star like if you're using your bad if you're using your abilities to like pull off the show sleight of hand and shit yeah yeah it's like no you have to show up put on a real show yeah exactly there's not many i guess like the one archetype i could see it kind of fitting into might be like the trickster but okay yeah i guess is the trickster going to be it could become a, a but i don't think any of the trickster's trickster's channels are things that are like Obviously applicable to stage magic. Mm. It's been a while since I've read it, though. But yeah, like the, the the point is, like you can through entirely mundane means invoke an unnatural check. I think. I think it might be an aspect of um, with uh, adept magic, especially is that if you fuck up, like unnatural phenomena can like random unnatural phenomena does tend to happen around adepts, and that can ruin a show. Yeah. It could even ruin you if you're, if you're just trying to do like a, a little magic trick in the bar. Uh, this is when you get sleepers like coming after you because you're being too... Like it's not that... Maybe you're completely in control of your magic or you think, but no one is completely in control of their magic because random magic and unnatural phenomena does occur. So from the sleeper's point of view, they'd be like, don't do it in public. I don't care if you can like pass it off as a trick because you don't know what you might it's like it's just dangerous you, yeah. you cannot guarantee you're playing with fire cause something yeah yeah exactly it's dangerous for everyone even you're a fire juggler right you're someone that's used to playing with fire you still need to be careful about it and fundamentally magic is rooted in perception in a sense so there there's like really only so much you can mitigate risk when you're performing for a crowd. Yeah, exactly. The more people, the more uh, risk involved. Like, the larger group of people even just around you, the bigger risk there is involved. I mean, the other thing, 
and going back to sort of historical examples here, we know that you don't even need to actually have magic to wake the tiger. No. No. All the witch trials. The vast majority of those, I'd expect, were not actually magical. It was just people with bigotry towards medicine women. Uh, Social panics to uh, resolve petty grievances. Absolutely. I'd say the Salem witch trials are well studied enough at this point that it's pretty obvious that there wasn't any actual magic there involved. The weirdest thing that might have happened is there maybe was some ergo that got in the bread. That's it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love ergo bread. Mix it mix it with a bit of banana bread. Oh, oh yeah. Put some butter on oh, there delicious. or some jam. Delicious. Delicious. You put- or, or some yeast if you want to mix, mix your fun guy. More fun guys... Is more fun, guys. That was definitely the tiger waking, but with entirely mundane explanations for all of it. And this is the thing. The tiger could wake... Like, the riot rules cover one manifestation of the tiger waking. But when we're talking about, like, witch trials and, like, witch hunting in general and um, satanic panic or any kind of moral panics, they happen over time. They spread um, by through word of mouth, which is why you can get, like... Like urban legends about like razors in um, candy apples can spread to Australia and New Zealand and the UK and France. They can spread across languages and like like they spread and they like there are waves of these sort of things as well. So if there is some like crazy magic shenanigans going on, which creates a reaction, that's maybe it's a riot, maybe it's like a crackdown or a moral panic or. Um, just a bad environment for anyone out of the ordinary um, for a while. And then it can also reverberate around the world and have different manifestations, which would sort of explain why the sleepers do what they do, because like having that too much of that would be not good. I mean, the other thing that comes to mind with something like Salem Witch Trials especially is there is a level of organization there. That is much greater than just a knee-jerk riot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that that requires a lot of premeditation and planning to get that through. Sure, a lot of witch trials were just mob shows, crowds around, the accused subjects them to some crazy, uh, weird trial that there's basically no chance of surviving, and then divines that as a result. But there's also witch trials that used the act that were legitimate trials and used the actual legal system. Mm-hmm. And historically speaking, there's a lot of legal systems that actually have clauses for handling witchcraft. Yeah, um, Saudi Arabia has its uh, supernatural. Oh yeah. Um, I know customs. The uh, what is it? The um, the council for the. Promotion of virtue and the prevention of vice. Yeah. Though my understanding is that they're not as powerful as they used to be. Because with a lot of the liberalization that's been going on in Saudi Arabia recently. Yeah. Was the um, MBS. They, yeah. I mean, fundamentally, they're the religious police. So they've been scaled back a lot in the past few years. The wildest thing I ever saw they did was um, when they decapitated a sorcerer in a parking lot. Um, that was just insane. Uh, this was a guy... I think the wildest one I remember hearing was when they... There was, like, 
that like a orphanage or a school caught on fire mm. and they stopped people from being able to leave because they had been told that it, it wasn't like witches specifically, but they were told that there was like some blaspheming going on in there. Yep. That's the thing to keep in mind is that the um council was Broadly, religious police in in the purview of that was witchcraft, among other things. Oh yeah, like the the, the purpose, like the the main focus was on blasphemy and uh, shirk, which is like religious innovation and um, anything which is uh, worshiping something other than Allah would be shirk, which is like their their purview. Another interesting thing about like UAE and Qatar, but also in like uh, Southeast Asia, you have a recurring themes of workers, um, especially domestic workers from other parts yeah. of the world getting accused of various acts of witchcraft. The popular thing being um, placing uh, menstrual blood into their employer's food to like control them. Uh, there's not much evidence this actually happens. It's very much like these people don't have any recourse or any power, but so they get, you know... It's just an excuse to fuck with someone. It's an excuse to break a contract. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like those contracts are uh, typically uh, in the best interest of the workers anyway. No. I mean, my understanding as far as the witchcraft shit with the committee is that they had a special anti-witchcraft task force that handled a lot of that stuff. Yeah, they did. So hey, you want you want Delta Green? There it is in real life, buddy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's not great. It's it's not nice people. No. Yeah, not at all. I know that customs in the, uh, the UAE is pretty. They confiscate all sorts of shit because it's like this is witchcraft. This is witchcraft. This is witchcraft. Um, a lot of the time, it is something which is related to another religious tradition. Um, that's not yeah. Islam, which is like, uh, or not Christianity or Judaism. It's like something from India or something from Africa that they're just like this. Yeah, is... which is also why you end up with a lot of migrant workers getting accused of it because yeah. they don't practice Islam. They aren't Muslim. They're there to work. Yeah, and it's definitely something you see all over the world to an extent. I mean, the, the whole like witch trials being legitimate trials as a manifestation of waking the tiger is interesting to me. Because, like, how, how does that happen? Is it, can it, like, can uh, the whole fight, flight, or freeze reflex, can fight, in, I guess, systemic terms of unknown armies, be resolved not just by death or getting knocking someone unconscious, but by rendering someone harmless by, like, tying them up or something? Hmm. Does this imply that there is a secret fourth response to... Stress checks? Litigate? <laughs> Litigate. I always thought a fourth response would be fawn. Like where you just sort of... I agree. Yeah, I agree. Like submit yeah. completely. Be like, no, I'll do whatever you say. Um, because that's a common yeah. response to uh, stress as well. And I think that you could theoretically fold that into freeze. But usually how I see freeze manifesting games is like, you lock up and maybe piss yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I wonder if like, you know how there's all these stories of 
um, back in the day, and some of these are apocryphal, of the ways that witch hunters would determine if someone is a witch, like you dunk them in water and if they float they're a witch, or like you do all these random things. Like, what if that these were like taboos from like old adept schools that they'd identified? Oh, that's fun. I like that. They that just got, got subject to centuries of telephone game. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. And I, yeah, I could absolutely see an adept school that like, if they're fully submerged in water, they taboo. Some sort of uh, bathing related adept school. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, some, some, and that would make sense because then they would be like watching the reaction. If someone's not an adept, they would just be like, "Okay." It worked once, or maybe even a couple times. So we're holding out. It works all the time. Yes, because you you got to think that groups like um, the Sleepers, the Cecilites, maybe even the Blue Line, you know that they would probably exchange information about taboos, adept taboos. Yeah, absolutely. Probably less the Cecilites, because I think it's uh, kind of um, mutually exclusive with their worldview, I think. Maybe. But the Blue Line and the Sleepers, absolutely. Because there's a sort of the sense that those two guys uh, don't have as much ideological blinders on, so to speak. Preventing them from understanding the status quo and all that crap. I think a Cecilite could actually, like, if they knew that, like, okay, this, doing this thing, it's just like the Witch Trials, it's like doing this thing will will remove the, the demonic powers from... Well, it's important to keep in mind that the Catholic, that the official line of the Catholic Church on witchcraft is that it does not exist. That's the official line, come on. Yes. Uh, and that anything that is thought of as witchcraft is just uh, demonic possession. Mm. And there's ways of dealing with demons. Yeah, I could see the Cecilites actually having a pretty good handle on demons. I do like the idea of... Um... Like these, like the blue line cops, like exchanging notes, like with each other about how, the, how does this fucker work? Yeah, how does this fucker work? How do I take this fucker down? I could, in a sense, the way I could kind of see it is like sleepers are more uh, have like a better handle on how avatars work because they're more clued into all the statusphere shit and understand that, especially mm. the sort of inner circle, and that trickles down. To the weird neighborhood watch shit that's the outer circle of the sleepers these days. Whereas yeah. Blue Line has a better handle on adepts because they're closer to the streets and adept schools are constantly changing and reinventing themselves. So because they're more likely to encounter adepts and just run into them as their day jobs as cops, they're often the first people in the know to be exposed to a new version of an adept school or, like, a new formula spell going around or whatever. I like the idea that 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 sort of, like, neighborhood watch level of the sleepers is where a lot of the interfacing between the sleepers or the Vry sleepers and the blue line happens. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I'd agree. Because it's very low level, like, like busybodies, like, local busybodies who are friends with the cops, and it's like, the the official blue line and the official sleepers, they don't really talk, but... On the low, on the at on the grassroots, there is some uh, exchange. Yeah, I wonder if there would be any because the cops are already fairly. Um, they want to like keep a lot of the fucking slayings under wraps that they do. Very reluctant to talk about them, but it's got to be even worse when there's like any kind of like 
adept or occult underground connection because like no the blue line would be like on that oh and then you bring deputy gangs into the mix and then you have then you have a spicy lasagna that's that's um that's a real spicy lasagna that's something that i've kind of been wanting to do throw into a campaign at some point sorry occulted deputy gangs oof yeah yeah just 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 do the wire but with magic. Absolutely. That sounds fucking excellent. That would be amazing. Uh, you could just take all the characters yeah, and just give magic much. here and make this happen. Like, what, what magic... Omar Little is just the most powerful mage there. Yeah. Um, and having, like, um, shit going on both sides. Like, um, definitely some wizard cops, but also, like, cops who are not... It, you could go into the whole, like, everyone is, like, there's corruption on both sides thing. Uh, with it. Brother Mazona's obviously a bibliomancer. Yeah, of course. Of course. That's fun. Here are some examples of things that could happen if you wake up the tiger um, from book two. Like These are things like the example is it says here in book two uh, that no GM controlled character in Onan armies has revealed the truth of magic to the world, at least not successfully. But the PCs are the stars of the show. If the GM can hack it, PCs who are bold enough to shout at the tiger can be a durable narrative concept. Your PCs could start out as magical evangelists, like naked goddess cultists or members of Makatacts, with reveal the truth as their primary goal. Or perhaps it just crops up in play that your characters are too goddamn showy for anyone's good. So what's going to happen? Oh, there's all sorts of things. 1. The news media is on them like white on rice. 2. Crackbot stalkers are on them like black on an ant. 3. Mystics who do believe in the sleeping tiger are on them like porn on the internet. And 4. Anyone with any sort of interest in power and control, such as the FBI or the Defense Intelligence Agency, looks at them with an ardent mixture of alarm, longing, and greed. Um, now, I haven't really done this, like, having all of this shit happening at once. Neither have I. I honestly forgot all about this section. I mean, that's, that's kind of um, fun. There's that a good question. Like, how would you handle those? How would you handle those? The ones that especially come to mind are, like, m- media response and uh, law enforcement response. I get, my guess, as far as law enforcement stuff, would be FBI getting involved could have some interference from the blue line. Blue Line might have this idea of like, all right, this is this is kind of our beat. Whenever the feds get involved in this stuff, it ends up way worse. So let's just quietly uh, let some paperwork get lost. And it'll just make everything easier. While also, you know, we Blue Line goes to these guys and like, guys, you need to fucking stop this now. This is bad. Yeah, like, this isn't even our jurisdiction. But we're going to tell you right now. Yeah. The feds are not going to find out about you. You're getting one warning. The, the next time this is happening, you were sending in SWAT. Yeah. yeah. And uh, on a high level, do you think it's in Noman's interest to have the tiger awake or to keep it asleep? I mean, how much does Noman even think or care about that? Um, Good question. Noman, it's really hard to sort of get an idea of what Noman once he's all over the place i would skew towards tiger waking because then it gets more access to data maybe but it's also skewed data it might like it's it might become more samey 
to it. I don't think Nomon cares about the validity of the data, I guess. It's just like having terabytes upon terabytes of trivia. That might be... Like, it might be uh, afraid of the tiger waking because of, like, consequences, like a worldwide fucking catastrophe happening. Sure, but if it gets a big media response, then it might like it. Sure, but you'd have to think that, like, no one would think long-term as well. Um, there's a reason no one, yeah. no one doesn't want, like, the good thing why no one is better than Skynet is that Skynet wants to kill everything, but no one wouldn't want to do that because then everything would be boring. There'd be nothing to, like, there'd be no, there'd be no yeah. data. It needs data to follow. That's why this having a supercomputer as a curious weirdo is 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 is, is not too bad. It's it's one of the better spins, absolutely. As far as the ultra powerful AI. Now, as far as the media, that's kind of an interesting one to me because you know it's one thing to see grainy cell phone footage of some sort of unexplained event show up on. Uh, Facebook, wherever you assume it's like, oh, someone on Reddit is really good with video editing. That's it, and luckily knows the trick of making the uh, video way lower quality to make it so the seams on the model don't show up as much. But you know, when local news shows up and sees that the results of your epideromancer somehow yanking a man's torso out from the rest of his body like a hole out of a donut with no laceration wounds or anything, then that, that's kind of harder to explain. You've got to think that the media, like the narrative, they're not going to go with the narrative of like this guy used magic because by the time it gets to the yeah, editor who saw that, it's not going to make sense. But So they're going to invent another narrative and it's probably going to be about like horrible a new type of violence like they'd make up yeah. something like that people are using um like ice like sharpened ice cre- ice cream scoops in street battles the, or something the newest from the cartels yep. donut holing is your family safe that's it that's it and it will cause a big hubbub and if it was associated with this particular area a particular place like for example, like if it was happening, if you were throwing around some magic and you happened to be throwing around some magic at the same time there was a, a Black Lives Matter protest happening, then Fox News is going to take whatever you did with magic and say like, <laughs> look, <laughs> this is ex- examples of how Black Lives Matter is making cities burn down or whatever. The newest weapon from George Soros. Exactly. So it's going to be absorbed into some narratives, uh, cultural war narratives, that uh, probably have nothing to do with what you were doing, but become a problem for you. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily going to be culture war stuff, but it's going to get compartmentalized and pigeonholed into some sort of pre-existing narrative. Now, this might be some sort of supernatural explanation that just kind of already exists in the zeitgeist sure there's some weird animal man that's seen obviously it's bigfoot right <laughs> yeah and even if it's like really clear footage that does look like a sasquatch people that are fundamentally skeptical of bigfoot probably are not going to give a shit yeah that's i guess the the saving grace of it showing up in the media for most media narratives 
people already have opinions on them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's true. And are going to base their view on the footage of your crazy magic shit. And they're going to view that through the lens of their opinion on whatever narrative the media is spinning that into. Yeah, that might cover up. That That keeps the tiger asleep, but doesn't mean that you're not going to get a whole bunch of bullshit heading your way. Yes. It's, you're definitely going to get pushback. It's just, you know, there's not going to be riots in the streets because, oh my god, everything we know is a lie. There's always the, like, um, not just the mainstream media, especially now because of the way there's all these different kinds of media going on now. Like, if you're a Mac Attacks cabal and you, and you fuck up, then you've become the new Pizzagate headquarters and someone's coming with an <laughs> AR-15 at some point because they're talking about it. Like, how do you stop 4chan from talking about you? That's probably worse. <laughs> Everyone talks about you and the ones that have it the most right are the 40-in times. 40-in times. That's because they, they actually do research. I, I think that um, becoming a focus for um, a sort of some kind of moral panic, especially if the narrative has gone out of your control, um, when, you, yeah. when all you're trying to do is like you're trying to build some other space, for example, and then they just assume that you've got a, a, a child grooming basement and they go, no, it's like, no, this is, we're not doing that. We're doing, and they're not going to ex- accept your explanation about other spaces, are they? Because that's ridiculous, but you're doing something weird. Why would you do a ritual of like act if you weren't doing evil shit? And if you're doing evil shit, you must therefore be doing what I think you're doing. And that's where you get the problem these days. I think there's always going to be pushback from someone's sense. Like even if it, your strategy is like, all right, we're going to be interviewed by local news and step by step, show them the crazy magic that we're doing with examples of it actually working. Then the response from that's going to be sleepers are on you like ants on a picnic. Do you understand how, your ritual components constitute cultural appropriation. See, you can get all kinds of angles on this. Not everything gets culture war pigeonholed, just most things. <laughs> most How things. much time have you been spending on Twitter recently, Tom? <laughs> too much, too much. I think it's the obvious sort of play. It's the obvious sort of reaction. It's a good one, and I think it's a common one, but, you know, you also have to keep in mind for when player characters are like, okay, yeah, we're doing some crazy magic shit. As you can see, this crazy magic shit actually works. We have videos of it. And then there's always going to be pushback from someone. Because there's always going to be someone that disagrees with what you're doing on some level. It might be that um, if you wanted to like make it hurt a little bit, if you and your cabal have become targets of a media smear campaign or become, gotten the attention of culture warriors, like how is that going to affect your relationships? Like, if you have some normies oh, yeah. in your relationship slots, like, it might take them down a bit. Or, in a less necessarily politicized spin on that, you do some crazy magic shit, and then some debunker expert is like, oh yeah, no, I can see the wires here and here and here. And even though your magic's real, and for a long time you convinced people that was real, you get pushback because skeptics start 
presenting evidence that it's fake. Hmm. Yeah. And that makes sense. You've got just Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeting about you. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's perfect. Yeah, people could like, um, you'll see people on YouTube like showing how it's done and they're like recreating whatever you did, but with like show it, like they're doing it a completely different way, but with, with like, with just some, just with some talcum powder and sodium hydroxide, this is how you do it. You too can do it, whole man. That's right. Well, the thing is, like, ep- epidermancy, you just say, like, oh, he had a weapon. It's, it's just not... Yeah, vi- that's an easier one. There, if there's footage of you, like, literally, like, tearing a guy's face off, like, you're pulling off a tablecloth, then... I mean, probably they'll just assume you're on PCP. Yeah, that's it. They'll just assume you're on PCP. They'll assume you had, like, a pair of pliers in your hand or something. Basalt. The guy, yeah, but it's like the guy had a particularly soft face. It was a medical condition. <laughs> I like that one. I mean, I, I, I guess sort of the uh, running through line of this is like it, it's a lot easier and a, often a lot harder to provoke an unnatural check than you might think it is. Oh yeah, because it's it's fundamentally based off of what your worldview is. And especially in anything that could be construed ideologically, usually the defenses up there are pretty solid. Oh, yeah. Whereas, really an example that book one gives is seeing an animal with human features. That's six to eight. That's not ideological. Everyone freaks the fuck out when they see the dog with the human head. Sure. But less, like, when they hear about it secondhand, a lot less when they hear about it secondhand. And when you yes. see a video of it, especially these days, it's like, that's just, that's clearly not real. Ah, uh, oh. nice Mars Attacks reference. Oh, yeah, it's Mars Attacks reference. This is, yeah, if, if, if it could be done with special effects in 90s comedy movies with mid-budgets at best, then no one's going to be impressed by it. Um, it's only when people are there right on the ground that people like it's this thing it's like how are you going to prove magic to the world now that's something that i've always kind of liked about twin peaks and kind of david lynch's takes on this stuff in general is that all the supernatural shit is done through very classic uh old movie effects right mm. like uh fog machines and spinning up and slowing down footage or putting in reverse and doing weird stuff with lighting and because, like, it works well yeah like in the rest of the lighting in the scene usually is very realistic and grounded mm-hmm. so these little snippets of old hollywood style special effects really stand out and look freaky as hell and it's kind of like in real life if you just saw a guy disappear into thin air like there was a jarring cut in the footage you'd be fucking terrified Oh, yeah. If you saw it in a movie, you'd be like, wow, that's silly. But if you saw it in real life, you would freak the fuck out. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not right at all. And I, I imagine a, a natural is probably like that a lot of the time. The natural just shows up as, you know, the, in a, the simplest, most straightforward fashion. Someone yeah. teleports or disappears or whatever. They're just there one second, then they are there the next, right in front of your eyes. It's like... Uh, the director of reality spliced two takes together, and in the second take, he's just not fucking there. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, it's freaky. 
even if you saw if you saw a 1992 um or whatever year it was released 1989 or whatever if you saw a uh, 90s teenage mutant ninja turtle you would think hey that's a guy in a costume but if you opened his mouth and you saw the the, the like the throat rather than the guy's eyes you saw there was like no that has a throat ah like it doesn't matter if it looks goofy and then when he starts breakdancing in vanilla ice that's a rank 10 that's definitely yeah definitely a rank 10 i think that like um yeah i would like to see cinemancers have more of that sort of like uh, movie magic style uh, unnatural phenomena i think that's honestly what a lot of magic looks like and it's just you know we're this is a role-playing game we can't show it visually we're describing it sure but um like i guess in terms of the language of cinema i think it's actually a really cool and interesting way to uh show supernatural effects in a way that isn't utilized enough where you have you have most things in the shot lit and set up very realistically and then just this jarring inclusion of very almost hokey old school uh special effects and it stands out a lot more and lo- it kind of triggers that sort of in- uncanny valley effect in a way yeah definitely um like if someone if like just for example if like you're looking at unnatural effect and it's like the camera has zoomed out like to give some weird perspective but it's your eyes yeah. doing that that would freak out <laughs> like, that would like no wait or it's happening super fast in a way that it looks like it's skipping through like two-thirds of its frames yeah or if someone is like about to is like disappearing into darkness but they disappear into darkness like it's like a like a vignette where it goes into like a circle and he like winks at you and then disappears <laughs> you just black just your vision fades and closes in and then you come to a few seconds later and he's just gone yeah that's like yeah, that's a, like a end of a fucking looney tunes cartoon yeah definitely yeah Seeing a cartoon in reality would probably freak someone immediately. Well, dude, look, look at the mask, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm honestly surprised there isn't, like, a cartoon adept. That could be a lot of fun, I think. I, I guess Cinemancers can probably do that by leaning into cartoon tropes. But, you know, ones that let you straight up, someone hits you really hard and you turn into an accordion. That sounds like a ton of fun to play. <laughs> That's a body horror right there. And also terrifying as hell to see in person. There's got to be a claymation adept out there somewhere. Oh, God. Claymation in real life would be more terrifying than a cartoon. Well, actually, they're both terrifying. But claymation, because of the way it moves, it's pretty fucked up. If someone moved like fucking Wallace and Gromit, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. That guy's not right. That's how you make, like, just fighting random skellies in D&D scary again. You describe them, like, moving the same way uh, skeletons from a Ray Harryhausen movie would. Yeah. Definitely. That's how they work. That's how they should run. That's how they should Yeah, they're animated by magic! Of course they aren't gonna be super high fidelity. They're gonna be jerking around. So, alright, to get back to, uh, before we finish up, um, the tiger... Uh, I did want to talk about how I think that the ti- what the tiger represents and what is... And you touched on this earlier when you were talking about like what sort of magical bric-a-brac, what sort of magical things are acceptable and what are taboo vary from culture to culture. Like in modern Western society uh, or modern like Eastern society as well, like um, tarot cards are fine, but 
don't want to play with that in other cultures because either in the past or in um, other parts of the world because it's it's actually a cult. And there's certain aspects of, um, for example, uh, Caribbean occult traditions which end up being subject to like scare campaigns or, scare, or like media freakouts because they're weird and un- unusual in the West. Uh, and this happens a lot with something like... Something has been, uh, some occult tradition has been absorbed or is acceptable within one culture, then it's fine. But if it's if it's in a different culture, it's it's very much not, and it would lead to more unnatural checks. I think the other side of this coin is that um, if you're dealing with like legitimately supernatural effects that are kind of make sense within the belief systems of the culture you're in. The unnatural check is probably going to be a lot smaller. Like if uh, someone that's very strongly Christian sees something that kind of fits the pattern of a legitimate miracle. And it does actually have like a supernatural explanation that would probably be only like a rank two or three unnatural check. Whereas like an atheist that sees an angel come down to them and tell them that they're going to need to build an ark for God is... Well, I'm going to take like an 8 or a 10. That's it. Somewhere in that range. It's a reason it's called unnatural and not supernatural, because there's plenty of people yes. for whom supernaturality is perfectly within their worldview. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of, um, what was it? That Did you ever watch Fargo, the series? No, not the series. There's this one scene where there's, uh, in one of the series, I can't remember the series, it was one set back in the 70s, um, but there's two characters, one who's like a normal sort of guy, like he works as a butcher and his wife who's a bit wants something more of her life but she's a bit more hippie-ish and there's this one scene where there's a fucking UFO flying over them and he's standing up like and there's other shit going on there's like a whole like crazy crime shit going on and he's staring at this UFO and she comes up to him looks up and goes come on it's just a UFO let's go <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good that's pretty good that's a great character moment. That's such a good character moment. And you'd see that with people because what they're like... Yeah, absolutely. Now, this does mean as a GM, you need to employ a bit more critical thinking, I think, with how a given supernatural effect would be felt by different player characters. Sure. Sure, that makes sense. This makes it a bit more complex than your typical, like... um Call of Cthulhu, Delta Green, sort of Lovecraftian horror, like yeah. Lovecraftian, like it's 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 equally crazy to everyone. But in Unknown Armies, it's like no, it's all relative. This is this yeah. is postmodern magic, so it's going to be, of course, postmodern relativistic unnatural checks. And I also think there's probably a bit more idiosyncrasy in the lower level mm-hmm. of stress checks than the higher level. Like an example might be seeing. A cow gets slaughtered right in front of you. For some people, uh, it doesn't bother them because they're kind of hardened to violence because they yeah. work in the slaughterhouse or whatever. Other people, they freak the fuck out because, Jesus, that's yeah brutal to watch. And other people are just like, oh, yeah, I don't give a shit. It's a cow's life. I don't care. That's true. Well, this is like where those the hardened rules come into play because lots of different kinds of characters can be hardened to the unnatural. Like, both a skeptic and a hippie can be hardened to the unnatural, but for completely different reasons. Like, the skeptic is just going to rationalize something, or and the uh, hippie is just going to accept it, and be like, okay, move on, nothing wrong. 
it's it's a flying saucer. Don't worry about it. Nah, what like what would be very uh, uh well, what provokes the natural check for a hippie would be like watching Richard Nixon smoke a joint. It's like that's like grade four or five. No, no, they they would just be like, yeah, no, that's see, he he's come over. <laughs> oh, like see, he was a hypocrite the whole fucking time. Yeah, uh, I was right. Yeah, so someone who's really open to the unnatural, they're going to be hardened in unnatural. Um, but maybe it's like very specific what they're open to. Like they have like cultural um, assumptions about how the unnatural works, and if they see something that goes against that, uh, they're going to freak out. You know, like if someone is especially very um, uh, love and light, sort of like um, thinking of the supernatural world as like like being part of the natural world, being very nice and all guy hypothesis or whatever, um, and then they see something which is clearly not good and also clearly unnatural, that might freak them out. See, I think this can be applied to pretty much all of the shot gauges because, I mean, what's considered acceptable and unacceptable violence, even outside of how more or less traumatized a given society is, uh, varies. But just like within cultures, you know... Some would probably think of slaughtering animals as not even really a violent act. Or, in the case of, like, isolation, different interpersonal acts have different levels of intimacy associated with them depending on the culture that a person came up in, right? You could even bring this in, you could even bring food into this. Um, how, like, you would, if you feed someone a meal and then you say, yeah, that was horse, and like some people will just freak the fuck out, and other people will be like, oh, that was yeah. horse, was it? Okay, fair enough. I've had horse before. This was nice yeah, horse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that has like nothing to do with how hardened they are to helplessness or violence. It's just like, yeah, eating horse is fine. Why wouldn't it be? It's an animal. Yeah. It's why people freaking out about like, oh, I, I, they, they will not eat the bug. Everyone's Everyone's like, they're trying to make us eat bugs, and I'm like, where are the bugs? I haven't seen them in the supermarket yet. I will buy them if they are spicy. I want to try bugs, sure. The, the bugs I've had in the past, I've enjoyed well enough. Bugs are fine. Just give a nice, just, yeah, give a bit of, uh, put some uh, some cumin, maybe. some uh, Chocolate covered ants, I'm a fan. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Not big on those scorpion lollipops, because it's just, it's just a lollipop, but like. That's just, yeah. With a thing inside. There's, there's, there's no flavor there. I'm eating this lollipop while staring at an arachnid. Like I don't want to do this. I remember once I was um, years ago when I was super young when I was in, I was in China, and just for a bit, like we, there was we sold someone someone was selling um, we found a store selling uh, like uh, the deep fried crickets, and so we got a yeah. whole thing of deep fried crickets and we were, like eating them. We didn't have much, and I thought it was fine. And then we went to a restaurant later on, and the food was so terrible that I just ended up eating the crickets instead. I was just like, I'm just going to stick with the crickets. <laughs> nice. That's great. The, 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 the bugs thing, like, they'll make you eat the bugs thing. It's like, okay, I get the, they'll make you live in the pods. It's like a fear. Like, sure. Sure. Yeah, like, the property values are ridiculous. In a lot of the world right now, I get it. I get it. That's another thing. I argued with my friend about this because they they were in an airport and they took a photo of this um like in the airport they had like a task pod where it's like this like you go in there and like there's a desk and things and you like do whatever work you need to do. It's a task pod, and I'm just like hell. I'd love a task pod, but in my backyard that whenever I'm just like yeah. I'm pissed off and distracted, I'll just like wave my hands and go. I'm going to my task pod. Leave me alone. <laughs> 
it all depends on like being forced to use the tax pod. Yes, that sucks. Exactly. But I don't even like. I can't. If I could live in a pod, that sounds like it would be cheaper rent. Where is my pod? <laughs> the issue is when the only places you can afford to rent are pods. Sure, that's fair. But can we have a mix? That's that's the pro. I can yeah, I have exactly. the option of the pod and my and my bugs for dinner. I just want the option. I assume you've been in capsule hotels before. Yep. Is that somewhere where you'd want to live? Even if it was more isolated? Well, the thing is, capsule hotels aren't that cheap because they're meant for, um, like, businessmen. Mm. But in Japan, like, the cheapest place I stayed was a Manga Kisser, which is like, it's like a, it's like an internet cafe, but with each, each like, yeah, and you with, can like, just walls sleep, people it. sleep there all the time, right? People sleep there. It, it's, it's a pod, basically. It was fine. That, it was great. No, I mean, it's, like, it's basically a cubicle, right? Basically much, a cubicle. Is, my understanding. Basically a cubicle. You could walk around. They had an ice cream machine. They had a shower. Like I, I okay, that's I, the big one for me. Like if they have a shower, awesome. Like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, when I lived in Korea, like I would, if I went to Seoul because I lived far away, I would just go to the uh, sauna because they had sleeping rooms, which were just these like oh. very like this. Um, Either it was just floor, you sleep on the floor, or like there was places that had like just bunk beds, but they were basically just wooden bunk beds, no mattress, yeah. but just like a little mat thing. Fine. Oh, so it's just like it's a fucking, it's a hostel. It's basically a hostel room. Yeah, but it's cheaper than a hostel because it's super basic, oh, and okay. also you can you can go in the sauna, and also you can go in the hot pools, and so I would do that. I would go. I am very drunk, and I'm not able to go home. I will go to the Jibjilbang. I will have a shower, I'll go into the hot pool, I'll go and sleep, and when I wake up in the morning, I'll go back in the hot pool, and I'll go in the sauna, and I'll have a shower, and I'll enter the world again, feeling hungover, but, like, having a full body, like, happy, like, uh... Yeah, that sounds lovely. It was great, and I'm like, yes, now these are some things, it's like pod, like, I wouldn't want to be forced to live in that, but I liked the option at the time. <laughs> And the thing that always struck me about the making eat the bugs, I'm like, one, I love shrimp. Yeah, sea bugs. Which, which is a fucking bug. But it always struck me as, like, not something... It's a, it's a food science challenge, above all else. Like, mm. we're 20 years away from... Like, given enough time and money, I'm sure that they could make cricket be real fucking close to hamburger. In sure. texture and flavor. But I don't want it to be like hamburger. Look, I want... Uh, like if you're gonna do it that style, like give me give me the tarantula, give me the the cockroaches, the like not not the dirty cockroaches. Yeah, you bug, want meteor bugs and crickets. Crickets got too much shell versus get all, their meat. Get all these big bugs and then you cook them like a it's like a like uh, those bags of like Cajun uh, with like you have the shrimp and the the crabs and everything like they're boiled in a big pot yeah. and they put them in a bag and they serve at the table to bag, but it's all bugs. That sounds delicious, because all those delicious spices would just permeate into the bug, and you just shell them. What's the difference? What's the difference? But then there's also people that, if you put a big old plate of a Cajun tarantula in front of them, that's a rank two or natural check. That's right. That's right. So uh, maybe it's a cultural thing in our case. Maybe it's just we're fairly hardly unnatural. Uh, it's a bit of both. It's a, definitely a bit of both. Soon, every spare moment was spent either playing the games, buying paraphernalia, or reading and studying the Dungeons and Dragons literature. The more deeply involved Mike became, the less satisfaction he found. Yet something compelled him to keep on, in spite of his growing despondency. 
a sense of, of depression, a sense of, of uh, just an almost overwhelming blackness and, and emptiness just across me. And, and I, from that, you know, it started to seem as though that the more that I involved myself in the game, the more depressed I started to feel. The dark shadows of the day soon crept into Mike's dreams as wild, grisly nightmares haunted his sleep. I would see this horrific, awful, awful, just bloody and horrible creatures hacking at my friends, and, and, I, and I would stand there and watch my friends as they would be just half the time, and they were just incredibly gorgeous, and I would, I would wake up at night, you know, oftentimes, you know, oftentimes I would be so upset that I would not be able to sleep for the rest of the evening. But even those nightmares could not tear Mike away from his obsession with the game. 